As those are coming around, um, my name is Steve Winstead. It's good to be here with you all. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. You may hear from a few people that are from Memphis, so I'm excited that uh, God has allowed our, our city of Memphis to have some representation here. Um, I work with a ministry called Downline Ministries. Our focus is on biblical disciple-making, taking Jesus' standard of making disciples and helping release the body of Christ to follow his strategy. My focus within that is on the global church. We partner with churches, church leadership, pastors globally and teach and train them in Jesus' standard of making disciples, how to do that, come alongside them. And it's a great joy to get to do that. Um, Several years ago, in 2000, actually 2004, December 26th, I remember turning on the news and all over the news was a tsunami that had hit Indonesia, hit Sri Lanka, hit India. And I remember watching that tragedy and praying for those people, thinking, God, I pray this will be an open door for the gospel. Uh, two days later, I get a call from a, a man named Soup, who is very special in my life. And he said, hey, Winstead, you ready to go to Indonesia? So I guess so. He said, well, we're leaving in one week. He said, give me your passport number. Let's go. So one week later, I find myself with 17 pounds. A bag that's all we could take was 17 pounds because we were taking a puddle jumper at one point. That included my tent, all my food, my sleeping bag, and one change of clothes. So I found myself with 17 pounds boarding a plane for uh, the other part of the world. As we traveled there, we went up into an area of Indonesia known as Aceh land that hadn't had Westerners there in a long time. And it's predominantly closed area. been uh, in civil war for the past 20 years on and off, but they had halted the civil war for aid relievers to come in. As we came there, we came to a beach of a, it was a devastated city that was leveled. They were still pulling dead bodies out of the rubbish, still pulling dead bodies out of the beach. And um, as we walked through there, meeting people's needs, talking to them, I remember gathering with our host and he said, we're going we're gonna to go into walk throughout this city. And we're going to pray for people, pray with people. And I pray God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel with him if he opens up the door. Be wise about it. But I pray he'll give you the opportunity. So we're thinking, all right, that sounds like a challenge. He said, but i got to tell you one thing. He said, this isn't a big thing. But know that here in this area, it's, uh, the law is that if you seek to convert someone to Christianity, it's against the law. The punishment technically is supposed to be death, but they'll just kick you out. Meet us at the Golden Royal Hotel in Singapore. I've never, remember, I've never forgotten that name. <laughs> None of us got kicked out. It wasn't quite as risky as I make it sound. But still, for me, at that point, it was one of those checks going, man, do I, am I willing to go do this? And I'll tell you, I was because of who I followed. First, I followed Jesus Christ, but Jesus had put a man in my life who I trusted and knew loved me, and he led the charge. You see, three years before that, I was working as a youth pastor in Memphis. I was in a suburban church in Memphis. Me and a good friend of mine were doing youth ministry, trying all the uh, sort of techniques that youth ministers do to draw a crowd of youth and entertain youth and sort of share Jesus with them. We were doing all those things and getting tired with that. So we invited some speakers in from around the city. And we got a list from friends of, hey, who would be good to come do this? And we invited this man named Soup Campbell to come. Soup's from the inner city of Memphis, and he shows up. He's wearing, I don't even know what you call those hats, a little funny flat-looking hat. He's got about five guys with him. He just sets up, opens his Bible, and begins to teach. And as I heard him teach, I thought, how does this guy know how to handle the Word of God like he can in such a way that, that both speaks to right where my heart is and livens me and passions me and makes me want to live more deeply for Christ? Well, after that, my friend said, man, I've I got to meet with that guy. So he asked him, he, said, he ran up to him and said, hey, can I, can, can I get some, you got, you got anything going, you got a Bible, so what, what do you have going, can I meet with him? He's like, listen, I'm, I'm with my family and my friends, why don't you call me tomorrow? So, gets his number, my, my friend is my partner in youth ministry, we've worked together for the past 12 years, good friend of mine. He calls him up and Soup says, well, listen, I'm, I'm busy today, can you call me in a week? So, sure enough, he on his calendar, writes down, calls him in a week, and Soup says, listen, I, I've just got a lot going on. Why don't you, 
I, 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 don't, I don't have much time. Call me back in a month. And at that point, I remember him asking me, he said, man, this guy, I really want to get some time with him, but he told me to call him in a month. What would you do? I said, I wouldn't call him. I was like, I'd, I'd leave the guy alone. He seems like he's blowing you off. And he said, well, no, 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 I'm going to call him. So one month later, he calls him. And Soup says, come to my house at 5 tomorrow, and I'll meet you. He says, you know where I live? Nope. Well, find out. <laughs> and I'll be here at 5. And he said, 5? Okay, are we going to have dinner? No, 5 a.m. So my buddy pulls up. Soup doesn't sleep much. He's like up at all hours. Of the, I don't understand what's, what's going on with his sleep. But he's just standing in the front lawn. He lives in an inner city neighborhood, a neighborhood that, uh, that I knew of and had been to but didn't really go and hang out in early in the morning. Um, and uh, he's out on his lawn, tells my friend, says, listen, sit down. I don't, I don't care how smart or talented you are, but if you'll be faithful, I can show you how to be a man of God. Well, he came back and told me that, and I said, wherever this guy's meeting, I'm in. So the next week, we both show up at his house every Tuesday morning. And for the next three years, every Tuesday morning, 5 a.m., 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., I'm at Soup's house around a table with about six other guys. Soup's challenging us, teaching us the Bible, helping us learn to teach. He would call us up when he was going places and say, listen, I'm going, I'm going to Texas. I need somebody to drive me. Why don't you come drive me? Sure, I'll, I'll come drive you. And as we did, he would just talk, ask the guy questions. And I, I was a guy who felt like I knew a lot. I'd been to seminary and felt like I understood some things. Soup is a guy who's never been to seminary, but knew his Bible far better than I did. And the reason was is someone had invested in him to the point that he could invest in somebody else. And now he invested in me. And as he invested in me, my soul alivened to Somebody caring for me enough, loving me enough to not just teach me God's word, which he did, but to show me how to be a man of God. And most, most men I talk to have never had anybody ever say anything remotely like that, like, I'll show you how to be a man of God. And honestly, most men are afraid to tell somebody that because we don't really know if we're men of God or not. And we're not telling somebody to follow me and I'm so great. We're saying, follow me. And the Christ-likeness that's in me, I pray that that will be transferred to you and that you'll pass that on to others. That three years I spent with Soup transformed my life. Um, before that, I had, I had traveled very little out of the country. Soup gave me a heart for the world as I saw that this guy travels the world teaching people about Jesus, spending time with them, investing in them. I caught a heart for that. I said, man, I want to do that. He gave me a heart for uh, folks who are broken and in, in, in need. Most importantly, he gave me a heart to train people, invest in them to the point that they can do the exact same thing for somebody else. I remember sitting around the table one time and he opens up to the Great Commission. We've all heard the Great Commission, I'm assuming. It's in Matthew, the end of Matthew. The last words that Jesus speaks in the book of Matthew is the Great Commission. And he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Remember he said, now how many, how many verbs you got in there? So a group of us around the table are scrambling to count verbs. I'm like, why are we counting verbs? And we go, ah, I think there's four. He goes, alright, there's four. What are they? Okay, there's go, make, make disciples, baptize, teach. And he said, alright. Only one of those is an imperative. Carries the, the full weight of a command in the, in the original language. Which one is it? And everybody goes, it's go. And he said, no, it's not go. And that's what most people think. The Great Commission is a primary text telling you to go, but God never commands us to go because we're already going. He said, the command is make disciples. And then he said, now who's this commission given to? I'm like, I was given to the twelve. It's like, all right, does it stop with them? No. It's given to every single follower of Jesus Christ. So is it given to you if you're a follower of Jesus? Absolutely. So you're telling me, I'm commanded to make disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I can tell you based on Scripture that we have a command of Jesus to make disciples, to be making disciples the way that Jesus did as best we can. 
Now, God's created us all unique, given us different gifts, different abilities, but He's called us all to invest in others in such a way that they can invest in others. And that transformed my life. Ever since then, I'm thankful for the few people that God has allowed me to invest in, and I get to see them pouring into others. And that's what we want to talk about today is, um, we're calling it mentoring, but it's really what I want to talk more about is discipling. Investing in someone, strategically investing in someone to the point that they can do the same for someone else. Now I want to look at a, a verse in Scripture. Uh, I think this is one of the clearest verses in Scripture on what the discipleship process should look like. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul wrote. And if, you, if you've ever looked at Paul's letters, most believe that the first letter Paul wrote was Galatia, Galatians. It was written to a region of Galatia. So Paul starts off writing his letters to a large region. But as he writes his letters, they narrow in scope. And to the point, his last letters are to who? Individuals. To men that he has invested in, and he's encouraging them to stay faithful. Now, if you think about most people, like to, they'll start things small, but by the end, they want to have as much influence as possible. Paul looks at his life and says, the most influence I can have is writing my last letter to this guy, Timothy, to make sure he stays faithful. He saw the power of an individual. And we're going to see that here in this verse, um, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. I'll read that. It says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others. Now what we see here is a, a few things. Who's writing this letter? Paul. So he says, In the things that you, the you is who? Timothy, have heard me, Paul, say. So there's a relationship here. Paul, in essence, was a spiritual father to Timothy. He wasn't literally his father. He calls him in in the verse before this, verse 1, he says, My son. So he calls Timothy his son, but he wasn't literally his son. He was a spiritual son that Paul had invested in. So Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him. He says, Things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust. Now, he's telling him to entrust something. This is, in this verse, that's the word that carries the weight of a command. That's the imperative of this verse. Entrust these, Timothy, to who? Not just anybody, but faithful people. To a faithful person. Now, think about that. That's, that's key. He doesn't say, hey, just go, tell, go entrust these things to anybody you can find. He says they've got to be a faithful person. Because if they're not faithful, the next thing won't happen. Faithful men who will be what? Qualified to teach others. So, right here in this one verse, we see four generations down the road. That Paul's looking at Timothy going, Timothy, if you grasp this, if you get this, and you begin to invest in others, and they will invest in faithful people, those faithful people will invest in others and we'll see a thing called multiplication. In fact, in the book of Acts, when you read through the book of Acts, at the end of chapter, uh, in chapter 1, we see 120 people. That's the church. 120. By the end of chapter 2, the church added 3,000 people. Pretty good day. 3,000 new people added to the church one day. After that, chapter 5, chapter 6, we see them add. In chapter 9, they start to multiply churches. They start to move from the process of just adding people to the process of multiplication. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There's a process of multiplication where you invest in somebody to the point that they can do the same. And I remember early on when I started meeting with Soup, he'd always look at us and say, Guys, where's your men? Who, who are you investing in? Who's behind you? Who are you bringing up? Who are you, who are you passing these things on to? Who are you helping to become more like Christ? He was always asking us that question. And in my mind, I was always going, man, I want to take my life and invest in others. I'll tell you, Soup and I are very different people. Uh, he's an African-American living in the inner city of Memphis, Tennessee. Talks very different than I do. Older than I am. Thinks different than I do on a lot of things. Uh, different life experiences. But I can still take and invest in people and I don't have to do it the exact same way Soup did, but I can invest in them in a very strategic way. 
And that's what God has called us each to do, that we are to take the Christ-likeness in us and pass it on. And here, he says to the things that you've heard. Now, the question is, what did Timothy heard from Paul? Let's look at this. If you go to chapter, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to flip open uh, with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. I want to see what Timothy had heard from Paul. Um, it says, you, however, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. This is what Paul is reminding Timothy. Remember, Timothy this, Timothy is often called timid Timothy. He needed to be built up. He needed to be reminded. He needed to be encouraged. And that's what Paul is writing to him, to encourage Timothy. And he says here, and one of the things that tells me is, why don't we never think of Paul as being timid, do we? I mean, when you read, that's the last thing on the list of characteristics you think about for Paul. But yet the man he invests in appears to be very different than him. A guy named Timothy, who struggles with timidity, who, who struggles with boldness and being courageous, and Paul has to continually build him up. And to me, that's a beautiful picture telling us, hey, we, we're going to invest in people that may not be exactly like us, or they're most likely not going to be. And here, here's what Paul says he invested in. First thing, he says, teaching. He says, you however know all about my teaching. Timothy had heard Paul teach. One of the first things that someone's got to know is doctrine. You've got to teach them doctrine. And so often people don't like talking about doctrine or teaching or theology. I tell you, your theology affects everything you do. The first thing you did this morning, the things you think about during the day, the way you approach your day, the way you interact with other people, that's all an expression about your belief in God, about who you think He is. The way that you think about God, the way that your heart connects to God, that affects everything that you do. So don't, don't make light of having sound doctrine. Because what you believe is going to be what you live out. So having right theology, that's important. So first thing Paul says is, you've got to have, uh, you, you know about my teaching. And earlier in, that, in, that, in the book of Timothy, in ver- chapter 1, verse 13, he says, What you've heard from me, Keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, what I've taught you, this is the pattern. Don't deviate from it. Stick to this. And there's a sense in which we want to pass on sound theology to others. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't know if I know that. Well, there's plenty of ways to to help you along and help you get that. And I remember Soup told me, he said, man, all you've got to do is find somebody that knows less than you. Start teaching them what you know. And as you teach them, you're going to want to learn more and you're going to, be, you're going to keep running back and that's going to cause you to grow more. I'll tell you, the thing that has transformed my spiritual life is investing in others because as I do that, I realize, man, I, I don't know a whole lot. I want to keep coming back and learning and growing so I can pass that on. So, passing on teaching. What's the next thing it says there? Anybody got their Bibles open? Anybody about my teaching? My what? What? Conduct, way of life. Remember, Soup told me, he said, man, I want, he said, I want you to get time with me outside of us meeting on Tuesday mornings. I can remember going over to his house, eating dinner with him and his family. I can remember going in the neighborhood he lived in. We would go up to a basketball court and say, okay, I'm going to go talk to those guys. You go talk to those guys and share the gospel with them. I'd be scared out of my mind. I mean, I was terrified. But I learned from watching him, from observing him, and spending time with him, and watching how he treated his wife, how he treated others, how wherever he went, he was a guy who was loving people, seeking to share the gospel. And those are the two keys, really, to investing in somebody, right there. You're passing on truth and life. I would say, either one of those, if you don't have both of those, you're doing something other than a biblical method of discipleship. We'll have all sorts of groups that will be Bible studies where you'll get together and you'll open the Bible and you'll study it and people will enjoy it. But all you're filling people up with is knowledge that they're going to be more accountable before when they stand before Jesus. If they aren't passing that on, if it's not transforming the way that they live, they're just getting all this information. We don't want to be a, a stop, just continually gathering information. And in our country here, we have more access to resources 
about the Bible. We have more Bibles, more resources on the Bible, more Bible studies in any country on the face of the earth. And we have more knowledge on those things. And God calls us to take those and pass those on. It's one of the, one of the things I've noticed is I've traveled the world and by God's grace been able to teach and work with church leaders in other countries. There's a desperate, desperation to know the Word of God, to understand the Word of God. Do you realize that 95% of pastors that will take the pulpit this week have no formal training? That's a world, that include, that's, that's a world statistic. 95% of pastors who take the pulpit this Sunday have no formal theological training. Over 80% have no informal training. So that means 80% of our pastors who step in the pulpit have never had anybody take them and say, hey, let me, let me help you understand the Word of God. You see, we, on a global perspective, many of us in this room, though we're, we're lay people or whatever we may call it, we have more training than many people taking the pulpit this Sunday. We don't often think that. We're, we're feeling like we've got to keep getting more knowledge before we can do anything. I gotta get more, I gotta get more, I gotta get more. So, Bible studies, that, that's not that's not discipleship. It's an aspect of it. You gotta have truth. The other thing is is that life. A lot of people will have accountability groups and you'll get together and talk about your problems and talk about life and pray together and leave. That's not discipleship either. That can be an aspect of it. But the two things is it's gotta involve transferring truth and life in the context of real relationship. If you don't have a relationship with someone, if you don't know them, you can't call that discipleship. If someone's not investing truth into you in a way that you can pass it on, that's not really what Jesus did as far as discipleship. Jesus spent time. They knew him intimately. And the thing about Jesus' life is he ministered to the crowds, but you know where most of his focus was? On the twelve. Because he looked at those twelve and said, if they get it, they're going to revolutionize the world. In fact, he told his disciples this. You will do greater things than I do. Remember one time I had somebody ask me, what does that mean? I thought, I know it can't mean be talking about salvation. Because the disciples couldn't offer themselves up as a sufficient sacrifice. What's it talking about? They're going to be the ones who are going to go and spread the good news of the gospel throughout the known world that are going to lead this thing, invest in people, disciple people, start churches, do those things. And that's exactly what they did. You look at where the disciples died. Everyone and they died scattered all over the world. All over that area. And all of them but one, uh, at least that we can tell, all of them died for what they believed. John died of old age in, in exile. Now, I think that's one of the greatest testimonies to the gospel. Think about this. A lot of people will die for what they believe. A lot of people die for what they believe. We see it all the time on the news. But not many people will die for what they know is not true. It's a big difference. The disciples, if they knew that Jesus hadn't rose from the grave, do you think they would have died for it? Right? When they're about to kill him, they said, we really made it up. I'm not willing to die for a lie. People will not die for something they know is a lie. Those guys died not for what they believed. They died for what they believed they saw. For what they knew they saw. Very different than, than, than what we see people doing today. That's a unique thing. That's one of the greatest testimonies, I think, to the, to the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that these guys all over the world were willing to give up their lives. Because they knew Jesus. He had transformed them in such a way. So, two things right there. Huge things. Truth and life. I'd say those are, those are two of the keys of discipleship. Next thing he talks about is my purpose. Timothy knew Paul's purpose. Paul says this. He says, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What was Paul's purpose? He says, to die is better than being in this world. I, I think I know that in theory. I don't know if I've reached a point where I'm really eagerly saying that quite like I see Paul. To die is, is gain. 
And he says, but to live, to be here, it's going to be Christ. Timothy had seen Paul's purpose. He knew what Paul was about. And that's the thing. If you spend time with somebody, they're going to really know what your real purpose is. They're going to get close to you and see what you're living for. You're going to pass that on. So he knew his purpose. His faith. He knew when Paul got in a difficult situation, Paul didn't just instantly go to his solution. He trusted Christ. He would pray. He would come to God and trust God for the answer. Somebody you're investing in, they're going to see your, your faith. And when you think about it, the people that you've invest, the people that have impacted you the most, I'm sure many of us have been impacted by our pastor's teaching. But if I were to ask you to raise your hand and tell me the topic that your pastor preached on this, the, the passage of scripture your pastor preached on this Sunday, I bet we get maybe half the room at best. If I say, can you tell me um, three points? Any, can you tell me a lesson you learned from his sermon? I bet most of us would forget, wouldn't know. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm just saying that that's the reality of how we work. You know, we, we, we hear messages, we leave, they make us feel a certain way, but we don't, they don't transform us. Not like a person can. If I was to ask you, why are you sitting in this room today? I think most people would say, because of so-and-so. Because I talked to so-and-so, but I can trace it back to this person who encouraged me, who loved me, who showed me Christ. Most people are in here right now because of people. People living for Christ have transformed us. And you saw their faith. You saw how they lived. I'm not saying that they necessarily said, hey, I'm, I'm your disciple or anything like that. But someone, someone with flesh on it, she said, man, they encouraged me. They loved me. So faith. You also knew about his patience. Man, a disciple is somebody that you're investing in. They're going to see if you're patient, if you're willing to wait. Paul said several times, I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. But God didn't allow him to go to Rome until he was going there to go to prison. A disciple is going to see your patience. So often we have things that we long for, that we're eager for, and God says, wait, wait, wait. I look at the life of Joseph in the Bible. Do you know what Joseph in the Bible wanted in the Old Testament? One thing. I want to go home. He wanted to go back to the land of the Hebrews. Do you know when he went back to the land of the Hebrews? 400 years after he died, Moses takes the bones of Joseph back. So, the things that you're longing for, God may say, that may not be my plan for you. We don't always know. So, patience. People are going to see your patience. Love. Man. One thing I knew, I'll tell you, um, God, the, Soup was a guy, when I met with him, he, he could be pretty tough on, on guys. I remember if guys showed up late, he would just lock the door, and you'd hear guys knocking at the door, and he went about to let them in. And, uh, and I don't do that. If people are late, I'm like, hey, come on in. You know, I'm not the same type of personality. But I knew that he loved me. I knew he could speak challenging truths into, into our lives because we knew that he cared and loved us. So love, they're going to see if you love them. Endurance. Don't quit. Don't give up. How are you finishing? My prayer is like at the end of my life I can say like Paul, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, I've fought the good fight. Finish well. Some of, some of the people that have transformed my life most are guys who have retired from an occupational job and are now spending their, all their time Investing in folks, loving folks. I need that. I need guys. I, I need people older than me that I can go and glean wisdom from. Endurance. Keep running this race. Don't give up. Don't quit. There's not a time where we all of a sudden retire and quit doing the work of ministry. We, keep, we stay faithful until we stand before Christ in glory. That's, that's our goal. So endurance. Um, persecutions. Man, Paul had been persecuted, hadn't he? Paul was stoned, left for dead, and what did he do? Gets up the next day and goes back into that city. I, I venture to say most of us in this room wouldn't do that. I know I wouldn't. If someone threw rocks at me to the point that I was dead, or supposed to be dead, and I somehow made it through, I would, I would leave as fast as I could. 
Instead, somehow, Paul gets up, goes back in that city, continues to preach the gospel. And do you know who was from that area? Timothy. Do you think Timothy had heard stories? Man, there was this guy. came, he was preaching. They tried to kill him. They threw rocks at him. Some say he was even dead. And the next day he got up and went right back into that city and preached again. Persecution is something we're going to endure. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that's almost a, that's a promise. We're going to endure persecution. It may look different. Here in our country, persecution can come in a uh, somebody not giving you a promotion or somebody laughing or somebody saying something harsh. And I don't want to take those things too lightly because, you know what? They've locked up a whole bunch of people. We look at those and they're sort of laughable. You know, somebody laughing at you or somebody saying something harsh or fear of some, what people will think of you. Well, that has handcuffed a whole bunch of people from sharing the gospel, from crossing lines. So we can look at them and say that they're little, they're not a big deal, but hey, our enemy knows human nature. In our country, that's got people on lockdown. That's all the persecution we need to keep us from moving forward. Some other parts of the world, you know, you, you can be persecuted and go to jail. When, when we go and work in the underground church in East Asia, I'm not at risk. Worst thing they'll do to me is kick me out. I have low risk. But the people who have brought me in, they're the ones who have the risk. Because if I do something stupid, if I do something foolish, I can put them in jeopardy. They may be the ones who will endure the persecution. So persecution still exists around this world. If you don't believe that, get publications like Voice of the Martyrs. Go and look at, look at that. Persecution is still very real. Start looking at some things on North Korea and you'll see, man, people still, people will die today because they believe in Jesus Christ. That's the reality of our world. People will die today because they trust in Jesus Christ. So persecution is very real. It looks different in different parts, but all of us will endure it. Everybody's going to face persecution. The person you're investing in, they'll see how you handle persecution. Rather, whenever you know that someone is going to either hurt you physically, which probably won't be our case in this country, or someone's going to say something that's going to hurt you emotionally, man, what are you going to do? Next thing he says is suffering. Now, persecution and suffering can go hand in hand, but there is a slight difference. You can suffer just randomly. Most of you in here are medical folks. People get cancer for no reason other than it hits them, right? Because sin exists in this world. This world is broken. Our bodies are broken. They won't be redeemed and restored until Jesus returns. So as long as sin exists, disease is going to hit randomly and people are going to get that and people will die because of that. That's the reality of the world we live in. People will suffer. Paul says... Uh, He had some thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it is. He said, I prayed three times that God would remove it. He never did. Paul, in one of his letters, he's writing it thin. He says, I write this with my own hands. See how big my letters are? Paul had terrible eyesight. So we know that Paul suffered. Some of them were connected with his persecutions. I'm sure when he got stoned and left for dead, there was quite a bit of physical suffering after taking that type of beating. We see Paul was... uh, Whipped with with the 39 lashes several times. He was shipwrecked. Paul endured all sorts of persecutions and all sorts of suffering. So the two can be connected. Sometimes they're not. Many of us in this room can think of someone who faithfully walked through suffering. And what a testimony that is to us. How encouraged we are to see them walk through that. So a disciple's going to see how you suffer. The last one, and this is one of my favorites. He says, and the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know the reason I love this? Because all Paul had to say to Timothy was, hey, you remember Antioch? Yeah. Timothy knew it. All he had to do was say Antioch, and Timothy knew what he was talking about. Timothy knew what happened in these places because he was with Paul. You have people in your life that can say, hey, you remember when we did this? You remember being there? And you're like, yeah, I remember that. And I remember how God was faithful to us there. And I remember seeing God work there. And we, those stones of remembrance in our life where we look back and go, right now, I may not see clearly, but I can look back along the road and I can see how God's been faithful to me and I can trust in that. So 
Paul calls out all these things that Timothy knew about him. I think that's sort of what we're to invest in people. Most people have never had somebody invest in them this way. Most of us are rushing around, not taking time for people in this manner. I'm not saying we have to impact tons of people in this way, but taking a few that God gives us and investing in them. I want to spend the last little bit giving you some practical, um, just some practical tips on how to do discipleship, uh, mentoring, whatever you want to call it. And um, hopefully these will be helpful. This list uh, that I'm going to give you is not like the end-all, be-all list. It's not all-inclusive. Some of you will probably add some things that are better. Um, so, uh, but these are just some practical things. First, you've got to identify the right kind of man or woman. Um, he tells him to invest in faithful people. If you're going to spend time investing in somebody, you want them to be faithful. I remember Soup would do tests with us. In the sense that he'd say, hey, go do this. And if we came back the next week and hadn't done it, he would start to look and go, that person's not being faithful. I'm not going to continue to invest in them as much. And you'll recognize, I'm not telling you if someone's hurting and broken, don't invest in them. But here's, our, here's where so often we spend most of our time. There's somebody's hurting and struggling, and we allow them to dominate our time. And we keep investing, investing in them, while there's someone over here who's eager and hungry and ready to run the race, and we don't spend any time with them. I'm not saying don't invest in that person, but strategically, we need to be spending time with those who can run, run the race well. You know what Paul's prayers are for? Read Paul's prayers in Scripture. They're for those who are doing well. He prays, he says, I pray for those who are doing well that they'll continue to run the race, that they'll continue to do well. See, those who are doing well, they're the ones who are making an impact for the kingdom. So if we want to see more people out there, we want to keep those who are running well, doing well, help encourage them and build them up and keep them from crashing, loving them well. And as we do that, we'll see more and more people reached. More people impacted. So here, you identify the right type of person. I've got written down here, you want a fat person? I uh, remember somebody said that to me one time. And he said, that basically, that, that you want a faithful, available, and teachable person. A lot of people may be teachable, but they're not available. You can't, they, don't, they don't have time for you. You're not gonna, they'll invest in them. Other people, they may be available, but they're not teachable. They, they know it all. They've got it all figured out. There's nothing they can get from you. And some other people just won't be faithful. You've got to have those three things. Um, wrap this up in one word at the bottom. Hungry person. You want a person who is hungry to grow, who's eager to grow, who's willing to, to make life changes, pay sacrifices to grow. Next thing, you've got to meet a person where they are. You're going to realize that people are going to be in different spots in their walk with Christ, and you want to help come alongside them and help them grow. You may have a, a new convert. You may have led someone to Christ and instantly start helping them grow in their relationship. You may have a person that's been in church 30 years, heard, have a bunch of head knowledge, but never done anything with it. So you've got to help meet a person uh, where they are. One down there, the blank down there, is therefore you must do the work of contextual ministry. You've got to know the context of who you're working with and what they need. Uh, my father-in-law, he disciples... Dental students. Every Sunday night he has 20 dental students at his house. And he takes them and invests in them. He owns three extra bikes. He takes them bike riding. Has them over his house for dinner. He does discipleship in some ways very differently than soup. But the results are very impactful. There are guys spread out all over our country and all over the world that have come out of his Bible studies, that have come out of his discipleship with them, his investment in them, that are doing world-changing ministry. So you take where God has placed you and the people that God is bringing to you and you be faithful with them. So He meets them right where they are. So meet people where they are. Um, next thing, start small, raise the bar. By that I mean, when you meet someone where they are, start with simple things. Remember, Soup would give us and say, hey, I'm not saying that scripture memory is the test of faithfulness, but that's one thing. So you said, hey, go memorize the scripture and bring it back next week. And if the guy didn't do it, he'd start to look and go, man, this guy's not hungry. And I'm not trying to make that some 
magical thing. But there are ways that we look and go, man, we're, we're journeying through this. You're not willing to invest the time to do this. You're not being faithful. But you start small with a person. Continue to challenge, to challenge, to challenge. As I told that story, Soup called me once and said, we're going to Indonesia. And I, I, on the phone I said, I'm in. I'm going. Why is that? I'd spend enough time with this guy. And he only took a few of us. He said, I'm taking the guys I've invested deeply in. Why? Because I, he, he knew us, we knew him, and he had continually given us, challenged us, and raised us up to a point where he said, man, these guys can be trusted. I can take these guys. So start small, raise the bar. Be relational. Superboy's called this flow. He said, you got to flow with me. Um, you got to get time with people. You've got to be a person that can connect. We're, we're all, some of us may be introverts in here. Man, you can still connect with a person. You can still love a person, get to know a person. Um, be relational. Build relationships. Um, uh, get that time together. Teach for life change. What I mean is, you're not just trying to pass them on doctrine for the sake of doctrine. You're passing them on theology, scripture, teaching the truth of God's word to transform them. This is our standard is the Bible and you want someone to be able to handle the word of God. To know it as best they can. We're never going to have it mastered, but we continually invest and grow in this. Um, here, down there it says we're teaching for, to, for belief. We want to impact a person's belief. We want to impact their behavior. And we want to impact their purpose. That's what the Word of God does. It affects our belief, what we believe. It affects our behavior, how we live, and our purpose. If you see somebody struggling with an issue... I don't, I don't usually start with attacking that issue. I start with giving them something bigger to live for and start opening up the Word of God and giving them passion for Christ and living for something bigger. And usually God will begin to work out those issues. Uh, build a future leader. Teach to build a future leader. You're always looking at these guys going, they're going to lead somebody else at some point. And that's, I, I try to instill that early on in guys. Hey, my hope and prayer for you is that God will allow you to experience the great joy, and it is a joy, of following His plan and investing in others. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to teach you as best I can and, and, and show you an example for you is something that hopefully you can do with somebody else. I'm building them to lead others. Always wanting them to see that, invest in others. Always wanting them to be praying, thinking about, hey, who, who in my sphere of influence doesn't know the Lord that I can be praying for? that I can be loving, that I can be looking to share the gospel with. And, and once I do, how can I help them grow? So, build a, build a future leader. Another thing, stretch them. Uh, you always want to be challenging them. Sort of, I said it earlier, start small, raise the bar. Sort of the same idea. You want to stretch a person to do more than they think they can do over time. To where they aren't doing things where they go, man, I'm doing this because I'm so great. They look and go, I can only do this because of God. You know, where they look and go, man, I'm amazed that God has allowed me to impact another person's life. So, stretch a person. Expose them to the faithful. Man, I think we're all sitting here, and when we talk about investing in another person, we all feel inadequate. At least we should, if we have a realistic assessment of ourselves. But at the same time, I look and I go, man, I don't have all the answers. But so often I'll meet with a guy and I'll say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you who does. I'll tell you who knows that area, who to meet with, who to get time with. And I want to take the guy and say, man, go talk to him. Uh, go, go meet with that guy. So I always want to encourage them. Get time with other people because I'm not the end-all, be-all by any stretch. I'm just trying to take what Christ has done in my life. You see the Jesus in me. Emulate the Jesus in me because you're trying to become not like me but like Jesus ultimately. And if Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ, I hope I can say the same thing. We should be able to. But... I don't have everything figured out. So there's times that we need to expose them to other faithful people. I, under that, I got don't get possessive. A disciple is not your disciple. They're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're just helping steward them, love them, encourage them, challenge them, and, and help move them along. One of the greatest joys I have is watching somebody leave Memphis or leave uh, time with me, and they go and they find somebody else to continue investing in them and they start to invest in others. That's the greatest joy. And I think, I think I always want guys who are pouring into me, investing in me. 
And then I, I pray that I can always be doing the same. Uh, involve them in a local church body. I think this is huge. We are the, the church is the body of Christ. Don't expect a church to be a perfect place. But I believe a church should be an authentic place, a real place, a place that people connect with. I believe as followers of Christ, we should champion the local church. We should cheer for the local church in all of its struggles, but we should be always involving people, pointing back to the local church. Don't build somebody who lives their Christian life outside of Christian community. To do that, you're actually breaking Scripture. Hebrews talks about that there's a command to not give up meeting together. We are commanded to not give up meeting together. So when you see somebody punning the assembly of the local body, I believe that they're breaking a direct command of Scripture. And I think that's a problem. I think we see a lot of people doing that today. So discipleship that doesn't bring people to the church, involve them in the church, has a brokenness to it. So, as, as, a, as a disciple of Jesus, you can recognize the problems of the church and the challenges, but realize it's, it's, it's Jesus. It's, it's the body. It's His bride. Love it. Be a part of it. Champion it. What do you expect when you get a bunch of sinful people together? You know? A bunch of broken people. The beauty of the church is we should at least recognize, hey, we're broken and need a Savior. We know who He is. That's, that's the difference between us and, and the world out there. It's a world that doesn't know it's broken, doesn't think it's broken, doesn't know the Savior. We're the folks who go, we know, we know we're no better than anybody out there. We just know who, who's redeemed us, who's saved us. So involve them in the church. Um, it says underneath there, it says, you must um, set a tone and model the importance of this principle. The student will become like the teacher. So if you're pouring into people and your attitude toward the church is always negative, always harsh, they're going to have the same thing. I have uh, three boys. And I'm always careful about how I talk about things in front of them because I want them to know that I love the church. I want them to hear that. And when we leave church, we're not critiquing everything and picking everything apart. We're talking about, man, we got to worship God with other people today. We're not going, now, was the music good enough? Was the music long enough? Was the church service good enough? The preacher be... Hey, we worship God with others who love Jesus. Isn't that a joy, boys? They don't get to do that everywhere on earth. At least not without fear. We got to do that here. So involve them in a local church. Be a builder of curriculum. Uh, There's plenty of curriculums that you can teach a person. So be a person who builds curriculum, who passes that on, who teaches. Um, I I think of guys who um, are discipling people well. Usually they have some materials that they're teaching them. And there's plenty out there. Uh, the ministry I work with, if you ever, um, we've got some, but I'm not looking to promote any particular curriculum. You can find a lot of s- biblically sound curriculum. And usually what you teach somebody, they're going to teach it to somebody else. So you always want to make what you're passing on to somebody transferable. Where they look and they go, I can do that. I, 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 can, pass, I can pass that on to, to somebody else. My hope and my prayer as we spent this time together is that um, you'll get to experience a great joy of investing in others. And here's the thing. Some of you may be saying, I want someone to invest in me. I'll tell you, if you go up to somebody and say, hey, would you disciple me? You're going to freak them out. If you go up and say, hey, would you mentor me? You're probably going to freak them out too because they're going to go, what does that mean? If you see somebody that you want something from, just go up to them and say, hey, can I ever grab a coffee or a lunch or something with you? And then you go and you mine it. Learn, learn how to help somebody. Hey, I see that you've been married and you haven't seen you have a beautiful marriage the way you treat your wife. Tell, tell me how. Tell me about your marriage. Tell me what the, what the keys that you see are. That person will just open up and start talking. Hey, man, I, I see that you love Scripture. Tell me how you, how you started studying the Bible. Tell me how you approach the Word of God. So, for, for those of you who are looking going, I want somebody to invest in me, when you see people, realize what is it you want in them and go up to them and get time with them and start to spend time with them. Because that person may have a lot to give you, but if you say, will you disciple me, it's going to make them go, man, I, feel, I don't know how to do that. And they may have never had anybody told them to do that. But they've got a lot of wisdom to offer, so mine it out of them. 
And for those of you who, all of us, I pray that we'll invest in others, don't feel like you've got to have everything figured out. I tell guys a lot, I don't know. I'm not sure. Why don't you go look it up? we got the World Wide Web. Go Google it. I'll go Google it. I'll bring it back and see what, or whatever, you know. I mean, Google's scary, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's go, go research it. I'll research it. Let's see if we can get the answers. Let's work on this. You don't have to know everything. But for most things, you can start to go, man, I know somebody who does. I, I have a group of guys that I can call with things, talk to about things. And that's one of the beautiful things about having guys ahead of me. As I'm investing in a younger guy, I call him up and go, listen what this guy's asked me. Listen what they're struggling with. What do you do when someone's struggling with this? I've never had someone struggle with this, but I need to help them. And discipleship's messy. It's organic. Jesus had a Judas. You're going to have people that you'll invest in and the time will feel like it was wasted. But here's the thing I'll encourage you in. Stick at it. That's Jesus' strategy for reaching the world, investing in others. And as you do that, one of the things I see about the global church is there are people all over the world who love Jesus, but their spiritual maturity is, is, too, is, is not strong enough to withstand heresies within the church. Things like the prosperity gospel that sweeps through parts of the world and causes people to believe in a different Jesus than what we see in Scripture. So we want to help people grow, help people mature, and I think the key to that is following Jesus' strategy of making disciples. So thank you all for, for being here. You've got on your, um, on your chair this little thing here. Um, if you are looking for this is now this for a mentor this isn't necessarily somebody to disciple you what this is talking about is if you're processing hey I may want to serve in missions internationally or even here in the United States or I want to be involved in something of that nature um, we'd love to help medical missions mentoring we'd love to help you connect with somebody that can help you process that so if you're interested this is for you um Website, the ministry I work with is at the bottom. If you want to contact me with questions, uh, you know, I definitely don't have all the answers, but I'm happy to, to dialogue. So let me pray for us. God, I do thank you for your word. It is true. I thank you for grace. Your grace covers us. That's the beauty of what's offered to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we, as we look at the false religions of the world, we see that they're all locked up in works. People trying to work hard enough to please a God. God, I thank you that we don't have to work hard enough. That there's no, no work we can do that will earn our salvation because Jesus has paid that price fully. But God, I pray out of the great uh, gratitude and great love for you that we would experience the joy of participating in what you're doing. The work you're doing in and around this world, God. God, we love you. I thank you for each person here, and I pray if there's anything that I've said that's less than your truth in any way, I pray that fall on deaf ears. But Lord, the, the things that come from your word that are true, I pray that we'd be encouraged by them. And most importantly, God, I pray that we would take them, apply them, live them out, and be transformed and be set free to live how you've made us to live, God. You made us each unique and for it to be a part of your purpose and your plan. So I pray that we'd experience what it means to be a part of the plan of God and to participate in what you're doing. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you all.